Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. G'day, welcome to The Call, 10 Stocks, picked by you two experts, one hour. It is Monday, the 4th of September. I'm Andrew Gagan, good to have you with us and our two experts on the show today. David Lane from Audbonet and Daniel Ortiz from The Stock Doctor. Welcome to both of you guys. Thanks for joining us. And uh, just getting into uh, the first, uh, well, preview of the first five stocks, we're going to be talking about Althea Group, MA Financial, Integrated Research, Galileo Mining, and Ava Risk. Just before we get into, uh, we're going to take a look at the sector of the day, in fact, off the back of some news today in the lithium sector. But before we get there, interested to get the view of both David and Daniel on where the market is at the moment, what we're seeing on the local equity market. David, uh, what are your thoughts, uh, given what we've seen for the first half of the year, now we're well and truly into the second? Uh, with more people I'm speaking to, more of the fundies and analysts and the like are saying, look, we, we shouldn't get our hopes up that uh, we're going to maybe end the year flat from where we are now. Yeah, well, we've certainly had a very volatile reporting season from the individual stock point of view. The index itself didn't move that much, but the individual stock were, were moving a fair bit. Uh, and I think really that's going to be the theme for the rest of the year in that we're going to look at individual stocks, individual sectors, and see a reasonable amount of volatility. Um, from a macro point of view, probably starting to see reasonable signs that we're not as bad as, I guess, uh, our analysts have been thinking that it could have been. So reporting season, I think, overall was probably slightly to the positive to, to what we were expecting, and, and certainly we haven't seen as much of a, a drop-off in consumer spending as, as many have thought. Yeah, Daniel, what are your thoughts, particularly in the wake of reporting season? Has that changed your view at all uh, of what's ahead? Oh, look, I think our initial view was that expectations were a little bit too high, but you know that, that started to come back down. So I think the key number is FY24 EPS growth was originally forecast to be around 10%, um, and that's come way back down you know, to low single digits now. So potentially those expectations are, are being priced in, but clearly a lot of the cyclicals um, you know, are facing are facing pretty significant headwinds at the moment. Um, you know, it's, it's not too often that our two biggest industry drivers, so materials and, and financials, are both suffering. Uh, what I think are some some considerable issues at the same time. So, like David mentioned, I think from an index level, you know, we might struggle. But of course, you know, there, there were a few companies out there who reported really well, and um, like you mentioned, are probably you know doing better than expected. So, I think it is still a bit of a stock pickers market out there. All right. Well, uh, let's now talk about the here and now. And um, Daniel, as I was talking about, we're going to choose the sector of the day. That's off the back of t- today's news, uh, looking at uh, Lion Town after initially declining uh, Albemarle's original bid of $2.50 a share, uh, now showing uh, its approval for a new $3 a share bid in the absence of a better deal. Uh, shares skyrocketing as a result today to near that level. So, Daniel, um, interested to get your thoughts on uh, where this places, you know, whether you think this is an accurate value of what you're seeing in Lion Town at the moment, and perhaps your thoughts more generally about what's going on in the sector at the moment. 
Yeah, so you know, I, I think it's really interesting. It, it says a lot about the issues out there in terms of jurisdictional risk um, and the quality of assets we have in Australia. So, you know, Albemarle, they've gone back with, with Liontown at least three times now in terms of making an offer. Uh, and now they've finally had a bit of support from the board there to, to give them exclusive due diligence and so on and so forth. But you, you've actually had news today as well from Leo Lithium about the kind of cancellation of, of the DSO um, in Mali as well. So th- there's a lot of kind of convening factors at the moment. I think the biggest thing that investors should be focusing on is that, you know, lithium prices, they are coming down. So I think there is a little bit of, um, I guess, headwinds to come and a little bit of perhaps in investor skepticism. But our view has certainly been that if you are going to um, be in the space, you want to be invested in high quality Aussie producers or, you know, in the case of Liontown developers with good quality assets and a proven track record. So, you know, that, that's where we like to be at the moment. We're not taking extra risk within the space and, and looking to go to anything too exotic. Um, and, and certainly from our view, you know, the big miners will continue to benefit. Uh, the, the biggest thing is that, you know, margins at the moment have been 85, 90% plus. So you have a reduction in prices, but these companies are still making it, you know, an absolute boatload. So still a lot of positivity for us in the sector, but, you know, pick and choose where you're investing very carefully. It sounds as though you've actually reduced your exposure there. Is that the case? Or are you sort of concentrating on one or two companies in particular? So, yeah, so our focus has always been on, on IGO, Allkeem and Pilbara. So we've actually owned those three um, pretty consistently. Uh, and we we'll, we'll were looking really at the time back in April when you had the big price drawdown as our opportunity to, to enter the market. So we've taken a, a pretty neutral stance since then. Um, probably actually been yeah taking profits, especially when the original Liontown uh, offer was made. You know, that was probably the time we started to look to take profits in the space and haven't really been too active in, in, in getting back in so far. Obviously, the EV market is growing. So the underlying market for, for lithium is still growing, unlike some other commodities, which are probably facing a few demand concerns. Um, but of course, you know, it's a very volatile industry and still very small relative to, to a lot of other markets out there. So, you know, we certainly anticipate volatility to continue and, um, you know, we'll, we'll be looking to add to high quality exposures when we get the opportunity to. So we, we feel like, you know, there will be opportunities for investors and, and don't really feel the need to, to rush out there or, or, or need to be buying it at high prices. David, yeah, we know that about the volatility in this sector in particular, but is it is it necessary, do you think, in a portfolio to have some exposure in lithium? I think long term it probably is because it is a, a you know a commodity for the future and, and we are um, forecasting longer term that EV will be a, a fairly dominant part of the market. So by about 2030, the forecasts are that EV sales will be about 40% of the overall market. So definitely there's that long-term tailwind for the industry. But as Daniel said, what we've seen in the short term is the, the prices have come down. So even though Alcom, for example, produced a, a very, very solid profit. So their profit was about $560 million uh, US um, in, the, in the last report. But the uh, lithium price was down about 70% over that 12-month period. So supply is, is continuing to, to rise, but the prices have been fairly volatile recently. Um, similar to Daniel, I suppose, we like some of the, the high-quality uh, miners the likes of Orkham, um, Pilbara and, and Mineral Resources. Um, IGO just had a, a very good result, which is paying a very nice special dividend. So uh, investors are getting a good dividend from those as well. Um, but some of the other ways to play that that theme long term is through a number of the ETFs that give you exposure to the um, you know, the, the energy transition metals. So there's a uh, an ETF from... Um, uh, XMET, which is the, the code for it, uh, which is the energy transition metals. Um, BetaShares has the uh, ACDC, which gives you the, the battery and, and lithium exposure as well. So for conservative investors wanting uh, a toe in the in the market, um, that's probably a good way to, to get a diversified exposure there. All right. So that is the views of our experts on, uh, well, you know, specifically off the news there of... Uh, in terms of Albemarle's upgraded bid for Liontown, but more broadly what they're seeing in the lithium sector. So uh, clearly the preferred picks there are Allchem, uh, Pilbara Minerals, and um, IGO and Mineral Resources, and perhaps, yeah, an ETF, as David said. 
All right, well, let's get into the socks as picked by you. The first one, uh, Tom wants to uh, get some detail on Althea Group Holdings. Uh, it is a uh, cannabis company. It's a producer, supplies, exporter of pharmaceutical grade medicinal cannabis. He says it's about to turn a profit. It's only about $16 million in market cap, but he points out, well, he says that it's got a huge upside in a fast growing market. And uh, I see it's also what under a deal. It's uh, it's other. It's one of its smaller companies. There agreed to. Um, it's got some exposure in the Canadian market, just in terms of a, a beverage product that uh, has um, some of the key ingredients, just as far as cannabis is concerned. David, what are your thoughts on Althea Group? And there are so many different uh, sort of these smaller. Uh, cannabis companies how does this one rate in your view yes there are and i guess that's the key with that sector is that it's still very um early stages and and very um yeah as i say it's early stages and speculative i suppose so it is a business that uh as you mentioned has a market capital of around 16 million dollars there's a lot of companies around the world that have similar sorts of market cap uh and are, are trying to break into that market um as you said the agreements that they've got in in canada uh they've also got an agreement with the boston brewing company in the u.s so they're looking at not only the medicinal use of, of cannabis, and they do actually have some agreements in place with uh, the Irish National Health that they're providing some um, support for their medicinal cannabis, but they're also looking at manufacturing um, cannabis-based beverages and drinks. So there is definitely upside there, uh, but that industry is in its infancy, so we really don't know who are going to be the dominant players there. You know, obviously in the beverages, you've got the the massive Coca-Colas and PepsiCo, et cetera, whether or not they're investigating this market. Uh, and, you know, potentially I suppose there's the, the, the opportunity for an Althea to become a takeover target for one of those businesses. But it's highly speculative. Uh, they're not profitable at this point in time. So the share price is down significantly over the last couple of years. Uh, I think the heat sort of come out of that sector and, and that, uh, you know, that, that market. So if you've got them, I'd probably be holding them. Um, but I can't really see you know, too much um, reason to be buying them. Uh, probably too speculative for me. Mm, okay. Daniel, um, I don't know that we've ever covered um, the cannabis sector with you before. Have you got any interest in that? Oh, look, similar comments to David. We're probably not too interested in this space. And I think the company posted, you know, $25 million in revenue. So it's got products there. It's manufacturing products and, and selling them. But they did about 50% gross margin, so 12 mil gross profit, and ended up making a $16 million loss. So clearly they have a, a, a you know, pretty... Uh, lofty, you know, expense base there. And, you know, a lot of that is in the employee side as well. So I'm not too sure if management is guided towards a profit this year. I think that the viewer mentioned that, you know, that they're kind of on the verge of profitability from the financials I've seen. It probably doesn't seem like they are. Seems like there's probably still a way to go. And, you know, the cash flow statement, I think if you have a look at that, um, we'll highlight those issues too. I think they only have a few million dollars left in the bank. And they also uh, drew down on some borrowings as well. So, yeah, we'd be happy to stay away from this. We, we actually had a conversation um, with the management team at Vitura, which is kind of like a distribution company here in Australia, um, you know, has has relationships with the pharmacies and and with the product manufacturers and, and operates more in that distribution market. They're you know, profitable at the moment, seem to be making a nice little niche for themselves. But like David mentioned, the market is still so young and, you know, there's obviously big competition risk there as well. Someone can come in and, and there's already, you know, big plays in that space, you know, it won't be too difficult for them to, to make a significant entrance as well. So, yeah, very hard to invest in, a lot of risks. And really, at this point in time in the, in the market cycle, you know, you, you probably don't want to be speculating on, on a loss-making um, cannabis company at the moment because to raise capital will be really difficult. Fair enough. Not interested then, Daniel, obviously. Uh, other things to look at, as you say. All right, well, maybe uh, the next stock, in fact, MA Financial Group, a little better known, of course. Uh, it is the second stock picked by Matt. Uh, he says the latest report was good with uh, 
inflows there. In fact, uh, first half result, um, uh, an earnings miss uh, did have lower performance fees. Um, but a couple of the brokers pointing out it's got very ambitious operating targets, particularly into FY26 uh, in asset management, the company targeting $15 billion, which compares with the latest update of closer to $9 billion. Daniel, how do you view MA Financial? Yeah, it's obviously, you know, it kind of gets touted as as a, a younger, um, earlier on v- version of Macquarie. And I think that's, you know, relatively accurate. They're clearly focusing on diversifying out of the, the corporate advisory space into asset management. And, and, you know, the acquisitions they've made in the past few years have all been alongside either asset management or credit markets as well, you know, which is typically a great area for, for fees um, for these types of companies. So they're, they're obviously looking to branch out, you know, grow their kind of recurring revenue lines and models and, and you know the management team's doing a good job and and one thing we like and um is how kind of the management team actually thinks about the long-term nature of this business so you know at the at the earnings calls they always typically comment about you know trying to grow value for the long term you know performance fees obviously will be very variable and you know that's impacted earnings in the short term um but you know they're hyper focused on scaling this business um and making it one of those huge uh, asset managers in, in the country so look there's there's reasons to be positive here but you know it will be kind of cyclical and, and bumps along the way these businesses are certainly um, you know do have their hiccups over time and obviously we know with red cape their, their pubs um, asset management arm you know that that's how it's troubles with redemptions being frozen and the sort so it's something that you want to monitor going forward you want to kind of understand what really the net inflow um, environment will look like for them uh, I think they've obviously tried to make pretty big layouts in uh, in private credit as well which is really competitive in Australia at the moment a lot of people are trying to enter that market so so, you know, you just want to monitor that closely. The valuations come down. It was probably from elevated levels, however. So, you know, we think the business is probably trading around fair value. Um, and, you know, you could hold it at the moment, but just be cautious of some of these cyclical risks because, like you said, Andrew, that the profit line will be bouncing around over the next few years. Okay, that's a hold from you then. David, what are your thoughts? Yeah, tend to agree with most of what Daniel said, although we've probably got a bit more of a, a positive outlook for the business. Um, we've got a buy recommendation on it, and uh, our target price is actually $7.60, so it's well above where they're trading at the moment, and we think that it, it is trading at, at you know fairly inexpensive um, multiples given the operational outlook for the business. So as uh, Daniel said, the the management have got very optimistic outlook over the next 12 months or so. Um, and if they can achieve those those forecasts, uh, the business will be worth well, well and above uh, what they're currently trading at. Um, the interesting part about MA Financial as well as their funds management business is they bought a business called Finshaw, which does a lot of the, uh, the, the loan back-end operation for mortgage brokers. So it does have some leverage there to the, uh, to the mortgage market as well. So, uh, yeah, we think it's an interesting business and, and think that it's a, a buy at current levels. All right. Okay. That is our first buy of the day, MA Financial. Let's move on to our third stock, Integrated Research. This one picked by David saying up until 2020, it appeared to have good fundamentals and growing earnings. Since then, profits and earnings have fallen. Share price has fallen dramatically. Perhaps their software is becoming obsolete, he says, or have been unsuccessful in transitioning to a SaaS cloud-based model or something else has changed in the competitive landscape. It is uh, sort of designs, develops, implements, sell systems of uh, application management and computer software to businesses um, and uh, communications and payment networks. David, what can you tell us about integrated research? Yeah, uh, the, the viewer um, certainly had a very good summary of it in that uh, it, it was a business that, that had very, very strong revenue a few years ago, um, has been in a bit of decline, but their recent result was actually pretty solid. Uh, it's yeah, it's a good business that uh, is improving as far as their connection with their their customers. As he said, the the uh, subscriptions um, uh, sales have been fairly flatline, uh, and the reason that their their revenue has declined is that their um, their additional services income has has come off. But their customer base is very blue chip, so they've got. 
the likes of uh, in Australia, Commonwealth Bank in in the US, Bank of America, uh, BHP here, Woolworths, Coles. So they, they've got a very very solid uh, customer base, and medium and longer term, we think that it's it's probably a business that that is reasonable value at current prices. Um, we haven't got a an analyst who actually researches the stock, but in in analyzing it over the last uh, last few days, it actually looks very interesting. And I think that uh, it does have potential upside. And given the the current share price, it's it's probably worthwhile uh, having a bit of a, a speculative um, buy on. A specy buy. All right. Okay. Daniel? Yeah, so the, I think we actually used to own this one quite a few years ago at Stock Doctor, but um, you know, seized coverage uh, well before that that period in, in 2019. So I had to kind of revisit what the story was and, and what's really happened. So the software that they provide um, historically was really targeted to kind of on-premise troubleshooting um, and analysis for for IT and for companies. And obviously, that transition away from on-premise software to to the cloud has has been a huge kind of detractor for them uh, in in their products. So they've had a huge churn event um, in terms of their revenue and, and their clients as well. So that, that's really been a struggle for them. Top line went from about 110 million pre-COVID. So I think around 60 million. So you, you know, clearly they've had a big, big churn event uh, and that's been kind of the focus of the market. And they've typically had really long kind of cash flow cycles. So they collect um, their billing cycles really long dated and, they, and it you know, it's it's quite tough to analyze actually because you can go through periods where one year's revenue will include you know a big chunk from last year and it looks like they're making a lot of cash and then the next year that that unwinds and it gets consumed. So I think that's another issue management has been focusing on trying to shorten um, the billing cycle and, and improve cash flow within the business. But like David said, you know they've, they've, it seems like they've gone through the worst and they're now in in, in a cash additive position again. So they made about five million dollars in free cash flow. Um, in FY23, and they're trying to reposition for growth. I'm not sure how, you know, if, if they're actually in a position to grow the business at the moment, it's probably still in that kind of lockdown mode and, and trying to retain the business that they already have uh, and improve kind of the balance sheet there going forward. So, you know, I think it will be difficult. The big thing in the financial statements was they had, you know, about 30 odd million um, in intangibles, probably acquired and, and invested in over the time. They wrote that completely off to zero. So, you know, the, the obviously the auditors are saying you know this this CGU this cash cash generative unit is, is worth nothing which is a bit of a a bit of a red flag to be honest so just be careful uh, but the big thing is that they have a pretty clean balance sheet no debt 18 million cash and they added cash last period so I don't think they're in a position well they'll have to raise capital uh, but you know I, I certainly think it will be a struggle um, going forward. So your recommendation is. Look for that reason. I, I still think if you're in it and you've worn this or this uh, drawdown, you can probably hold it because you're not at risk for the cap raise at the moment. Um, but you know, you, you'd want to be watching this pretty closely. I feel it's probably not something you put in the bottom drawer. You, you want to stay pretty active in monitoring its updates. Yep. Okay. All right. That is integrated research. Let's move on to Galileo Mining, uh, picked by John. He says he's got shares in it. Uh, but says they've since dropped a lot, but I still like them. And uh, he says uh, they still seem promising. Should I add? Yeah, bearing in mind just what's happened to the share price, it uh, it it jumped um, last year uh, on. Uh, uh, in fact, um, well, it. Uh, I'm just trying to get that up. Actually, in fact, what uh, happened over the past. Uh, year or two but that was in may last year and then since that point it's been unwinding uh at a steady rate it's uh, focused on uh, palladium platinum nickel copper um drilling in uh, at its norseman project in wa daniel um what are your thoughts on galileo then and, and i guess and what's going on with that share price yeah, well, I think, you know, the, the environment for junior financing in the mining sector, you know, it's been some of the most pessimistic we've seen in, in quite a while, actually. It's very difficult at the moment to raise capital and no doubt, you know, that that's played a, a huge role um, in the share price decline here. So, you know, it's, it's, this isn't one we've followed too closely, but, you know, it doesn't take much of a look um, to see who the major players are in this stock. They have a partnership with Mark Creasy, um, obviously, you know, very well uh, renowned prospector and, and mining entrepreneur. In WA, and they have a project um, 
you know, some tenements in the Fraser range there near IGO's Novamine, which was obviously kind of discovered and and um, and sold by by Mark Creasy himself. So that's one of their projects, and they have another project, like you mentioned, which is kind of exploring um, for some of those higher valued sulfide targets, PGEs, um, etc. As well. So yeah, we haven't followed it too closely, but the big thing at the moment is that they have fifteen million dollars cash in the bank, and they're still turning the drills, which means that they could be um, you know producing some news flow, which is probably the biggest thing you want to be aware of in the junior financing department at the moment because most of these companies they're, they're struggling to raise money at all to fund the drill bit and if you're investing in something like this the only way you, you're going to perform well is if you know you, you, you're returning results through the drill bit so you probably hold it at the moment to see how that cash can be spent and whether or not they can generate some good results but you know keep in mind it's, it's just an extremely difficult environment for these companies as a whole you know particularly gold I'm not sure if they used to explore for gold and perhaps made a pivot which a lot of companies have, um, but you know the, the the conditions for raising are just so dire at the moment, and um, the fact that they have cash is probably the only reason why I'd say you know continue to hold this one to see if they can produce some results. Yep. Okay. As you say, it's a common story across, uh, particularly in those material stocks at the moment. Dave, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I tend to agree with with Daniel that it's uh, you know, very difficult to analyse on the basis that it is exploring. So really, what you you're looking for is some positive drill results. Uh, I guess from a timing point of view, it's it's potentially a good time because they uh, have announced that they're commencing some drilling uh, over the next few weeks. So there will be announcements coming through from the company, and yeah, the the. The upside risk in this sort of business is exactly what we saw in, in May, April last year was that they jumped from about $0.22 cents to $1.95 um, on some fairly good results. So if they, over the next few weeks, come out with some positive results, there is that upside potential in it. But also, as Daniel said, the, the downside risk is if they churn through that $12 million of cash and are unable to, to raise additional finance, well, then you've got uh, downside risk as well. So, it, yeah, highly speculative business. Uh, in John's case, if he's already got shares, I'd be holding and, and keeping an eye on those drilling results. Um, but I think for new investors, there's, there's probably... Uh, yeah, better investments out there. Yep. Okay, that's a double hold then on Galileo Mining. Let's uh, round out the first half of the show then with Ava Risk. And uh, this one picked by Philip. It's, um, well, as it perhaps it suggests, it's in risk management. Uh, in fact, um, the latest deal there has just been uh, selected as uh, uh, to enhance security at a couple of European airports, uh, specifically, I think, in Romania. Uh, with a five-year contract there to upgrade software and support. So Philip asking, what do you think of the market cap of this business should be? Do you see negative profits and cash flow? This past year is a concern and will they need a cap raise? David. Yeah, it's it's an interesting business. Uh, One that over the last few years has gone through a a fairly big change. They've got a new CEO that's come in and he's focused on on customer sales and support. And they've developed their their Aura AI X business. Uh, so it's a or it's a data driven intrusion detection system. Uh, so it's a market that there's definitely a, a demand for. And as you said, airports, major infrastructure, uh, government and and major companies are its customers so it's a very interesting business um their sales have actually been very very strong so uh they've been increasing their exposure in in the us and europe so from a financial point of view the revenue actually looks pretty solid uh and their underlying profit was actually quite good um there was a uh a, a bit of a a, um, a write down from a previous business that they'd, they'd sold. So, uh, yeah, I think it's actually a, a very interesting business at, at this point and think that certainly I can't give an estimation as to what their market cap should be, but I think it probably medium and longer term should be a, a lot higher than they, they currently are. So, uh, again, without a, a, an analyst reviewing it, my view would be that, uh, yeah, I think it's a business that you can buy for the medium and longer term and uh, could well be a, a good player um, in that space. All right. So we're calling that a buy then on your part? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Daniel, do you agree? 
Oh, look, there, there is, you know, a lot of things that have happened in this business over the past few years. It's chopped and changed, like you both mentioned. And I actually think, you know, Ausbiz has probably had some of the best coverage of this company. And I think um, if you want a bit more information, go back through the archives. I think Luke Winchester, Claude Walker and Andrew Page have, have all commented and, and really analyzed this business quite well. So definitely go back and have a look at, at those segments because they will know the business a, a lot better than than I think I will. But um, yeah, we talked about big, hairy, audacious goals with MA financial and this company is targeting 70 to 100 million dollars in revenue within three years at a 25 percent operating margin if they're able to pull that off you know know, the the shares will be significantly higher than than they are today but of course there's a significant amount of execution risk there so yeah a lot of their products at the moment is in that kind of intrusion and detection so it's things like smart locks and biometric locks and you know they they obviously have a lot of relationships with um, you know defense organizations and and supplying to infrastructure like assets so airports um, data centers of the sort so it's an interesting business you know that they've tried to um, invest in new products and I think it's been a bit of a bumpy ride. They've had a product um, that Aura IQ which initially had some interest in in analyzing um, on conveyor belts with mining companies and so but nothing really was able to come from that. So you know it's one of these things that will be kind of you know very choppy in the short term um, but if they reach that goal then yeah absolutely the, the, the market cap will be a lot higher than today but it of course lies within that execution risk. So you know if you're happy to if you're happy to make that big bet you know you'd be holding the shares but um, of course like the viewer mentioned, the balance sheet has kind of dwindled down um, since they returned a lot of that cash from the asset sale. Uh, and they yeah, they did draw down a bit of debt for for an acquisition recently as well. So this is another one I'd say you probably want to give it a three-month grace period, see the next cash flow result, uh, and probably make an assessment there. All right, I'm going to call what that a hold with a watch, yeah? A watchful hold, Andrew, will give it a... <laughs> okay. All right. Good one. Let's uh, let's summarise where we've been for the first half of the show. We began not so much with the stock of the day, but a sector of the day that um, is off the back of that news in regards to Lion Town, uh, Albemarle upping their bid to three dollars a share, and we've seen uh, Lion Town stock pop as a result. But the question to both David and Daniel really was how they're seeing the lithium sector at this point. Daniel pointing out that those prices have been declining. He's saying it's probably worthwhile taking profits. But in terms of those that he would prefer, it is the producers such as IGO, Pilbara and Orkin. Similarly, yeah, David's seeing that uh, he's preferred stock once again, those majors such as Orkin, Pilbara, mineral resources. And also perhaps uh, looking across, they're getting a bit of a bag for uh, in terms of uh, considering an ETF such as ACDC. All right, our first stock to consider was Althea Group. And uh, David uh, saying there is upside, uh, but it's in its infancy. Uh, This is in the uh, cannabis field. Uh, He's got a hold on it. Daniel, though, saying uh, it's got a lofty expense base. There is a lot of risk there. He's not interested in it. MA Financial Group. Uh, Daniel uh, saying it's a diversifying business, maybe a a very sort of small uh, Macquarie group is one way to look at it. Cyclical business, though, uh, he thinks it's trading at fair value. He's got a hold on it. Uh, Daniel uh, has, sorry, that was Daniel. David is a buy on the stock. uh, And in fact, uh, Ords has a $7.60 target on MA Financial. It's currently at about $4.85. Integrated research. Uh, David, solid business, reasonable value, a specky buy from David. Daniel uh, saying improving cash flow, another positive, has no debt. Uh, It's a hold from him. In uh, Galileo Mining, uh, Daniel saying it's, uh, well, it's in that drilling phase, does have 15 million in the bank. Uh, He's got a hold on it, as does David. And finally, the Ava Risk, a buy from David, looking at solid revenue. Daniel, he's... uh, Got a, a watchful hold on Ava Risk. All right, let's uh, sum up our portfolio. Of course, it's our own high conviction fund, which is picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of that is live for you to watch at allspids.com. So let's check in on the update. And going into August, index was replaced by AUB. The committee spent uh, cash and uh, to well, add Seek, Altium, and ProMedicus. So checking in on the performance of that thus far, it's up 
10.3% on a cumulative return basis since its inception at the beginning of March last year. So keep setting your requests, keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. Well, next for the second half of the show, we're going to be taking a look at South 32, Homeco Daily Needs REIT Vicinity Centres, Deterra Royalties and Ram Essential Services Property Fund. So a couple of REITs there to consider. Let's get into it then and uh, begin with South 32 in the mining space. So picked by Scott, he's saying future facing commodities with management with a proven track record. Does the current price since the seller provide for an accumulate strategy for a solid resources play. And uh, also in a factor here is it is in talks with Coronado Global Resources just in regards to its uh, metallurgical coal resource there in Illawarra. Daniel, let's start with you then. What are your thoughts on uh, on South 32? Yeah, look, Andrew, this is one we've owned on and off. And, you know, it's obviously a management team that, that we've really liked. And the thing that stands out is if you look at their reports, you know, they they you know, outline their capital framework and, you know, investment since um, they were spun out of BHP. And it's probably one of, you know, the best allocators out there. You know, it hasn't really um, used too much debt. It's It's been well funded. It's it's actually sold um, underperforming assets over time and, you know, look to add new base metals to the portfolio. The funny thing is, is that, you know, it gets touted as future-facing commodities, battery metals or, or base metals, but its largest earnings drive over the last few years has been metallurgical coal. So, um, you know, that, that's why it had a, an amazing run because the coal price took off and they were just making obscene profits um, from the Illawarra project there. And, of course, now they're, they're touted to look to, to divest that, which I think at the moment will actually be pretty good for them because there are significant cost issues there. There's been labour disputes at that mine for a while as well. So, you know, I think if they're able to, to divest that to Coronado and look to reinvest those proceeds, I would actually look at that quite favorably. But the bottom line is it's it's you know key portfolio of assets, um, met coal and, and aluminium within the supply chain. So obviously alumina um, and aluminium as well, it's it's been struggling. I mean, even Rio Tinto only made a, a 4% return on capital in the first half from their aluminium division. So that's why the share price has taken a hit. I think if you look at that you know, that market a little bit more closely, there are some risks emerging. Um, you know, you should have had more of an ease in terms of cost guidance because you've had consumable costs come down like caustic soda, but I think the market was disappointed with with the cost guidance there. And obviously, you know, big news in, in the in the impairment and the write down of the Hermosa project as well, which is a pretty key development um, for them uh, going forward in their portfolio. So some, some reasons why the share price has fallen, I think it's warranted. We're probably not looking to buy back in just yet. I want to See those cost issues fully um, resolved and fully kind of adhered to by the market because guidance, you know, potentially could be revised upwards um, from now as well. So we're just sitting patiently on the sidelines. But in terms of you know a long-term approach, you know, this is a company we'd certainly like to own again. Um, one of the best capital allocators in, in the industry, um, and and you know, pretty clean balance sheet. Not much in terms of net debt there. So you know, we'd like to own it, but at the moment we're just sitting on the sidelines. Okay, so that that's a wait, but um, Daniel, as you say, so it's it's looking to uh, move away from that metallurgical coal, but it has been a solid earner for it. So, I mean, how do you assess that transition? What are the difficulties ahead? Yeah, so you know, in terms of the difficulties ahead, it's actually been investing in, in new assets. So obviously, um, I think it was last year they acquired the, the interests um, in the Sierra Gorda copper mine, and um, you know, there's actually a long runway for, for organic investment there and expanding output. So you know, they have a portfolio of assets which you know they, they have growth opportunities in, and unlike the majors, which you know, when BHP and Rio talk about growing, you know, it's it's a little bit of a misnomer because they're already so large. Growth in, in terms of relative values is going to be so small and they have to spend a lot of money to be able to achieve that. Whereas South 32, it, it probably has a, a better growth pipeline. Um, so you can actually probably get a bit more of a valuation upside there and, and it has the assets to do so. So we, we do see you know real potential for them to grow uh, and, and clearly they've, they've made indication that they're happy to make acquisitions for the right price mm. is the key the key kind of uh, framework there. So you know we, we certainly think they'll be successful in that you know in the long term. But um, you know cost issues, Andrew, are 
really plaguing the mining sector at the moment. And at, at the end of the day, you know, we look at free cash flows. We want to be investing in businesses that, that you know, are, are going to be performing well over the medium term as well as the long term. So if there's that headwind there, we don't really feel like there's a rush to go out and do it. Um, and of course, the demand concerns in the short term, just as a whole for commodities is, is, is a bit of a plague as well. Okay. All right. So bide your time with that one. David, what are your thoughts? Yeah, fairly similar sort of views. Uh, as Daniel said, the Met Coal was about 30% of their earnings last year. We're forecasting that to be about 10%. And then, as you said, if they look at, at uh, divesting that business, it, it won't be uh, a, a longer-term part of their business. So they are focusing on that aluminium, uh, nickel, copper, uh, cobalt, etc. So in some respects, it, it, it is that future-facing and, and we like it from that perspective. Uh, the problem, I suppose, in the short to medium term is that they're very reliant on on China and the, the outlook for China. And that's been clouded over the last few weeks, few months, uh, because it the Chinese economic data that's coming through is is not positive. Uh, so as far as South 32, we have seen that share price come down. We think it's worth about $4.10 uh, as far as a, a valuation is concerned. Not quite enough to make us accumulate at this point in time. So we've got a hold recommendation on it. Um, but if we see that share price drifting lower a little bit more, it, it would be one that we'd look at, at adding to. Um, We've got it in many of our, our portfolios and, and happy to be holding it at current prices. Yep. Okay. All right. Once again, that's sort of a wait and see uh, perspective on South 32. All right. Well, let's get into, we've got a couple of reads ahead of us, so let's get into them then. Uh, the first one being uh, Home Co. Daily Needs REIT. Uh, this one picked by Jackson. I think it owns, uh, it's got a portfolio of about 50 plus shopping centers. I think it actually merged with a vendors group back uh, a couple of years ago, or last year, uh, for the bulk of its portfolio there. Um, Dave, what can you tell us about Home Co.? Yeah, they've been a, uh, a very good manager. Uh, the the managers of the business, I suppose, have, have bought a lot of assets over the last few years and they've bought them fairly well. Uh, it's in a sector that makes sense from a, a long-term point of view because they're not necessarily discretionary uh, spend. So it, it's a good quality asset. We think that it's it's well positioned. Their result was actually solid uh, and provided some fairly positive guidance. So we were, were quite um, happy with the result. But current share price, we don't necessarily see that it's compelling value. We've got a hold recommendation on it. Um, target price is $1.26 at current levels. Um, the positive thing that came through in their result, though, was also their hedging. So they've uh, increased their hedging to about 91.5% as far as their, their debt is concerned. So they're not as leveraged to further interest rate moves as, as some others are. Um, so it's a yeah, good quality business, good quality asset. So if you've, you've got it in your portfolio, I'd be holding that. Um, but yeah, I'd be, yeah, certainly don't think it's, it's great value at current prices. Daniel? Yeah, I think this is really interesting, Andrew. And when I got the stock list originally, you know, the last thing I thought I'd be putting a buy on was was a REIT. But uh, I think this makes a good a good case. Um, and the result was quite good. It, I think the key thing here is um, really what's going on with the with the rental book with a lot of their properties. So obviously there are those kind of larger format, you know, regional not regional but neighbourhood like malls with with you know obviously large format retail spaces like you know your Harvey Normans, your Nick Scarleys, your Anacondas, etc. And, the, you know, the portfolio does look under-rented. So, releasing spreads, which is kind of the spread from when a lease expires to when it's re-signed, was positive 6%. You know, most REITs out there, uh, 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 at best, are at flat releasing spreads. So, when you have that income growth as a REIT, you know, that, that's exactly what you need. You need to be able to to grow the top line above some of the headwinds from interest expenses um, uh, that's coming through. And, obviously, a lot of their leases are, are, are kind of leased out to these supermarkets and, and these higher-quality tenants. So, I think the underlying tenant quality is good. I think the assets look quite good as well. And um, the fact that rental income is growing is really, really important here. And like David mentioned, you know, they did a mountain of work in terms of um, hedging hedging their debt position. They're probably one of the best um, positioned REITs in terms of that that 
forward-looking um, interest expense headwind to come. So they, they've done a lot of work in that. And what that does is effectively, you know, they, they have to incur upfront costs in, in, in hedging that book, but it gives them less downside exposure to rates over the next few years, which I think will be an important factor um, when you look across the sector. So, you know, trading at a, at a nice discount to book value. Um, they've had a few divestments, which have been at book value as well, which is always important. That capital recycling um, is, is crucial to companies like this to fund the development pipeline. And I think there's enough there to, to make it interesting enough to give it a bit of a nibble um, in the REIT space at the moment. Yeah, interesting you should say. So what clearly then that has been a sector you just haven't bothered to look at because obviously the pressures have been under. But um, what out of all of them, then you think this is one of the better picks? Yeah, certainly. I think from, from our view, Andrew, is that you, know, you, you want to be picking um, REITs with a bit of a niche or a bit of a specialty. Um, you know, flat view office, you know, it hasn't been good. And there's a lot of concern over the, over the leasing spreads, a lot of concern over the occupancy. So we've st- stayed well clear um, in terms of that as an asset class. But there are opportunities. I think we've also spoken about companies like Arena REIT, um, you know, who have a really well-rented portfolio, CPI linked, 90% of the book. So, you know, there's, there's huge growth there in the top line because inflation is obviously higher, uh, low gearing as well. So there are opportunities out there. Um, and, you know, they're obviously trading at less of a discount to some of the others with more challenges. Uh, but these are these are the areas you want to be looking at. You probably don't want to be going headfirst into an over-leveraged um, office, office REIT. You know, I, think, I think those will have troubles, but there are pockets of opportunity. Mm. All right. Well, while we're at it then, Daniel, uh, so that was uh, Home Co. Daily Needs. Let's continue in that sector then with vicinity centres. Uh, this one picked by Ali. Uh, it, uh, yeah, once again, it, uh, it's shopping centres. Uh, I think they've got around stakes in about 60 uh, across the nation there. It's uh, latest um, MPAT, uh, about $271 million. That was down 77% on FY22, uh, largely, as we've seen in this sector, due to a reduction in asset valuations. It does have high occupancy at coming in uh, just shy of 99%. So, Daniel, then, what do you think of vicinity? Yeah, I think retail um, REITs have been another interesting space. It's obviously a little bit different to kind of the large format, um, more neighbourhood kind of mall areas that that HDN provide. This is obviously more specialty retail. I think the crown and the jewel there, obviously, is the Chadston Shopping Centre. Um, and, and these guys uh, have had a pretty good result as well. I think Centre Group, obviously, had a nice result too. So there's obviously some positivity in terms of the underlying demand, which obviously during COVID, you know, everyone was thinking, well, uh, physical retail space, it's it's a dying industry. Everyone's moving to e-commerce. That That's definitely shifted back now. Visitation levels are, are getting up really high. And, you know, it's, it's becoming more of an important part, it seems, of the family dynamic um, going out. They're spending money, spending time together. Obviously, restaurants are a big part of these of these assets as well, as well as cinemas and the like. So there's really interesting kind of dynamics here in the fundamentals. I would say the valuation probably isn't as appealing as HDN, and they're going through their own kind of churn um, with elevated um, releasing at the moment from those kind of COVID leases that were signed, short short tenant COVID leases. So you know, there's probably a little bit of a headwind to come in the releasing. It doesn't look like there's much positivity there for these guys, but I will will say that the, the, the big thing here is the luxury department. So to put into perspective, I've got these numbers here, luxury departments um, at Chadston were doing about $80,000 in sales per square meter, which is just you know an extraordinary amount of uh, an occupancy cost of just 7% of sales. So there's obviously a big uplift that they can derive from that part of the portfolio. And you know they're, they're investing about $400 million at Chadston um, to expand that offering. And that will be a key driver going forward. So there's interesting dy- dynamics here, but probably not as appealing on a valuation basis as HDN. So happy to hold it, has really high quality assets, um, but perhaps not as appealing at the moment as, as some of the others. Right. So supported by those luxury brands. That's a, th- a thing we're seeing across the globe at the moment, just in terms of those luxury um, uh, producers and uh, manufacturers and, and retailers uh, just in uh, and seeing not just in Australia, but, but elsewhere as well. Um, so David, what are your thoughts on uh, vicinity? Yeah, fairly similar to Daniel. Uh, as you said, they've got the Chadston and, and many of the luxury brands there, but in Sydney they've also got QVB and the Strand. Um, but then they play the other end because they've got a lot of the DFO uh, places as well. So they're, they're selling their, uh, their, or their 
the customers are selling goods at, at not only premium prices but also at discount prices. So uh, reasonably well diversified across the country and across that uh, retail spectrum. Um, we actually think that their business or their, their some of their assets have some redevelopment potential as well and the potential to look at uh, putting in apartments, et cetera. So the analyst uh, has just downgraded or just upgraded, I should say, the recommendation to an accumulate. And that's mainly due to the fact that we've seen the, the share price come off a little bit. Um, they've got a fair valuation of $2.10 on it. So I think at current levels, it's it's reasonable value. Um, does have a good dividend yield, yield of about 6.8% looking to grow to about 7.4% next year. So uh, as you said, with that high occupancy of about 99% and, and rent uh, increases with inflation, um, it should actually produce a, a reasonable return. Mm. So yeah, one that we quite like at current prices. Right. Okay. So that's an accumulate. So Daniel, what was your recommendation then? Happy to hold it here, Andrew. Yep. Okay. All right. Uh, look, we, we do have another one uh, in terms of the REITs, but we're going to, just before we get to that, we're going to go back into, well, it's the Terra Royalties. We've done this uh, many times before. And it's uh, what well, owns the royalty rights for mining assets. Uh, but uh, I guess the point of difference for Deterra is that, for instance, uh, makes its revenue from uh, the revenue that BHP, for instance, makes from its mine rather than actually its profit. So is that an important point of difference there, David? How do you view Deterra? Yeah, I guess it is important to, to look at the fact that they don't have that development risk and that um, ongoing cost, but they do get a, a revenue and that's very much tied to the iron ore price. Um, and in, in the case of Deterra royalties, uh, I, I don't think it's it's worthwhile buying. We've actually got a light and recommendation on it. Uh, and that's due to the fact that medium and longer term, although production is still high from the BHP mines, the outlook for iron ore price is is declining. So we actually saw that their their profit was down fairly significantly, um, down about fifteen percent from last year, uh, and it's very reliant on on BHP and its its production. Um, management have said that they are looking at at buying other royalty assets. Uh, and I guess, you know, they've been fairly conservative from that point of view. So it's a positive that they're not just going and, and spending uh, money for the sake of it. They are looking for the right assets. But at the moment, you're very much reliant on BHP and the, the iron ore price and medium and longer term. Our, our outlook's fairly uh, negative for that. So, yeah, I'd be uh, be looking at lightning if uh, you've currently got them. Yep. Okay. Daniel? <clears throat> Yeah, look, probably on the opposite view here, Andrew, I think this is probably you know the most appealing iron ore stock out there in my eyes because it's the lowest volatility way to play the space. Obviously, they've got the revenue royalty on Mining Area C and, and that's been BHP's kind of cornerstone um, production hub. Uh, in their in their iron ore business, and, and you know that's obviously still growing as well. So you get a bit of a free kick in terms of a growth option on that. And like David said, you know it doesn't have to uh, bear any of the risk in terms of the financial investment um, going forward. And, and the biggest thing at the moment, which I've seen from reporting season, is that you know mining companies have they've all stated that you know inflation is here to stay within their cost base, particularly within labour, and and that's an issue that's going to progress going forward. And you know capex inflation has been significant as well. You only have to look at what all the developers are saying or what all the all, all the new projects acquired that they've been written down significantly is saying as well. So the fact that they don't have that risk within the business, I think is a huge positive. And you get the benefit of, okay, well, if the cost curve rises, you know, theoretically that should benefit Deterra because you know, over time you'd assume a higher marginal cost of production, you'd assume a higher iron ore price um, going forward in terms of, you know, versus the long run average. Uh, and, and obviously the these guys would be a beneficiary of that, um, and, and that's why we like it. The other companies are probably looked at favourably for their dividends, but in terms of dividend sustainability, you know, you, you have a rising costs if commodity prices come down. The operating leverage is severe, so the likes of you know your Fortescues, your BHPs, you know, they're not going to be able to pay the obscene dividends they have been. Mm. Whereas Deterra, hopefully, you know, they should keep that 100% payout ratio 
going forward. I think the fact that you know they spent ten million dollars or so uh, on operating costs is, is a bit of a laugh, really. I mean, they're just cashing iron ore checks from from BHP. Why do they need to spend so much on business development? I don't think they should be making acquisitions when they have probably the best royalty asset in the world. You know, you should just sit back, relax, play that low volatility um, exposure, and, and continue to benefit that way. So, you know, we really like the fundamentals of this company. You know, love the the mining area C asset royalty, um, but just don't want to be exposed to that acquisition risk. You know, it's just not needed. And if they take that $10 million away from the cost base, you know, that's just a free kick in terms of dividends going forward as well. So, you know, we we really like it. We own it. You know, we we don't really need to see um, further buying here because we are a little bit cautious on the iron ore cycle. But out of all the iron ore miners, this is the one we'd be happy to hold. All right. That is a hold then from Daniel. Let's round it out. We're back into REITs, the 10 stock being Essential Services Property Fund. This one uh, peaked by Tony. Uh, it invests in uh, Australian medical essential retail services and uh, leased to those essential service tenants. Okay, Daniel, RAM Essential Services. Yeah, so this is one, you know, I don't think we've ever had a look at before. No. Uh, I think it was a relatively recent listing as well. Um, and, you know, the thing is with REITs, obviously, at the end of the day, they're kind of asset managed products or, or, or vehicles. And you want to be very familiar with the asset manager. So, you know, we talked about HomeCo before, HMC Capital, you know, David DePilla has a great reputation. They've, they've had a bit of a track record, um, which you can follow and, and see whether or not you're happy with those managers. And you know, I'm, I'm just not too sure of the asset manager here. You know, we're not too experienced with them um, and I don't think they have too much of a, of a presence uh, in the in the local market here so that's just the biggest thing I'd say you know you just want to make sure you're very comfortable with that arrangement because at the end of the day that you know they they're the they're the um, the fiduciaries of this vehicle they're the ones making the decisions uh, in regards to what happens with the portfolio in terms of kind of the underlying fundamentals it does seem to have you know your your daycare hospitals some smaller private medical centers and um, some kind of regional mall types of things in in Queensland and New South Wales, it looks like they're mainly weighted, mainly weighted too. And uh, I would say definitely more to the regional side. So obviously, you know, they, they trade on higher cap rates than say your more metropolitan assets and of the like. And, um, you know, you're not going to get a bit of a, you're not going to get that kind of valuation reversal going forward. I think it's going to be tough for them to, to get valuation up upswing. So um, for us, we'd probably be happy to stay on the sideline because, you know, we just haven't done enough due diligence on the asset manager and the quality of the assets. And I think there's other opportunities out there. It's obviously a space where it's very unloved at the moment. So, you know, you, you can pick and choose from the bunch. Um, and yeah, probably probably would be happy just to, to give this one a bit of an avoid, mm. uh, to stick with something with perhaps a bit more of a, of a, of a history and a bit of a reputation. Yep. Okay. David? Yeah, Daniel's views are, are very relevant, uh, but it's also probably one of the reasons that we we like it. So, uh, Orge was actually involved in listing uh, the business when they when they listed in 2021, and we have actually had uh, many management updates from them. Uh, so, real asset management are the managers behind the the, uh, the this property trust, and they have got a fairly good long-term history of, of managing assets, mostly of, of which have been unlisted. This is their, their first listed vehicle. Um, but as Daniel said, it's uh, predominantly medical um, medical assets as well as uh, you know, some daily needs, so your, your coals and your, your Woolworths, et cetera. So it's, uh, you know, it's an asset that, that is well um, capitalised there. Net asset value is about ninety-seven cents, so they're trading at a pretty decent discount to that. Uh, they've actually just recently announced that they've sold one of their assets, which is a Westlake um, uh, uh, shopping centre, and that will uh, sell for about their uh, their June twenty-three net asset value. So there hasn't been much of a, a decline there. I think their overall net asset value was down by about five point eight percent in their last results. So. They're holding in relatively well, um, have a good dividend yield of about 7.6%, so it's a, a good income. Uh, so, yeah, we've got a buy recommendation on it and right. a target price of $0.83. Cents. Okay. All right. We end with a buy. Let's sum up where we've been for the second half of the show. 
and uh, we began there with South 32. Uh, Daniel, um, this is because they're sort of disinvesting in coal at the moment. He's got to wait, just waiting to see how this transpires in terms of their transition. Uh, David, a hold. Uh, home Co. Delineates, we've had uh, three REITs uh, this last half year. A solid result, says David. Positive guidance, he's got a hold on it. Daniel, a buy. Um, it's one of the, the air at once REIT in this uh, sector that he was actually uh, surprised by. Um, vicinity centres, uh, not an appealing valuation, says Daniel. Uh, he's got a hold on it. Uh, David uh, reiterating there the high-end stores they have, which has certainly been a positive for them. They've got an accumulate on the stock for vicinity. Uh, Deterra royalties there, a lighten from David, looking at the iron ore outlook is declining. Daniel, a hold, uh, but he says the most appealing iron ore stock. Uh, there to be listed and uh, just finally they're rounding out with uh, another REIT, Daniel, uh, for RAM Essential Services. He's not interested. David uh, Ords has a buy on it. They did help list the stock. All right, that is the show for today. Thanks to our guests. David, thanks for joining us more Bennett. My pleasure. Thank you. And Daniel from Stock Doctor. Good on you. Thanks, Andrew. Good to be here. Thanks, guys. All right. Any stocks you'd like us to cover, go to osbiz.co forward slash callpicks or tweet us at osbiztv. Stay with us. The Pulse is up next. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.